Hi. So when Tanya asked me if I would speak, um, my first question was, are you sure? <laughs> because I, I said, you do know I am neither Orthodox nor Catholic. Even though I've been coming to Doxicon for years, are you sure you want me to speak? And she's like, yes, we want you to speak. My next question was, what am I supposed to speak about? And she was like, whatever you want. So be prepared for someone who doesn't quite fit in here speaking about whatever they want. Um, <laughs> so actually I knew, it, as soon as she told me that it was whatever I wanted and then I looked at the theme, I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I consider myself non-denominational Protestant. Um, grew up going to the Baptist church, currently attend a non-denominational church. Um, I really enjoy uh, interacting with people of different Christian traditions and discussing the things that we have in common. Um, I taught at a Christian school, non-denominational Christian school, for the last 10 years. Um, as of June last year, I am now a full-time artist after doing it on the side for almost 10 years as well. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about the school that I taught at was that it was not associated with any particular church. And so there were students from a pretty wide variety of Christian traditions um, from my hometown, which is Oak Harbor on Whidbey Island, Washington. So small town, small community. Um, but I really, really enjoyed the discussion that we could have with, I specifically worked with middle and high schoolers, uh, talking about things we had in common, having a civil area where we could discuss things that we had different. There were a few times discussing screw tape letters in a mixed group where I had to be like, no, we're not going to push each other's theological buttons, please. But <laughs> for the most part, I was just really deeply thankful to be for um, kids that age to be able to experience something that diverse and yet focused on the essentials. It was really, really probably... Um, one of the closest things I've experienced to the body of Christ, the way it's described in the Bible, um, having the, the, this group of people coming together over things that really mattered and being able, being able to focus on helping each other and building each other up, it was a really neat experience. Um, so like I said, last year I quit to do art full time. So my talk has to do with that. I'm not going to talk about art, um, even though I could. Um, I want to talk about finding your fellowship. I want to talk about the role of found family in life and faith, and that is directly related to my life story and to where I'm currently at in life because the truth is a lot of people look at you when you say, I am a full-time artist, and they step back and they go, wow, I could never do that, and you begin to take on the celebrity status in, in their eyes. It's like this is the dream that everybody, that all creative people talk about, you know, making it work for you full-time, and... It's really, easy to, it's really easy to idolize people who do that and to not see all of the people behind them who make that absolutely essential. And I know, for my part, I would not be here, I would not be able to do what I do with my life if it was not for my people, for my fellowship. Um, and so I'd like to look at found family, I'd like to look at fellowship in various sci-fi and fantasy worlds, I'd like to look at what the Bible has to say about some of those things, and... Yeah, just talk about that. Um, and I'll be sharing little bits and pieces of my own story and my own journey and the people who have been really instrumental in my life as I go. So we, we throw around the term found family a lot, but I'd like to ask you guys, how would you define found family? It's a trope that we see a lot, especially in speculative fiction. How would you define it? Anybody want to throw something out there? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll be the first to say that bloodlines as relates to blood family is not something that resonates with me deeply. I, I, I like my family. They are good people. Um, but they are not the closest relationships in my life. And sometimes I'm convinced that God gives us blood family... Um, so we can, so we have people in our life we have to learn to get along with, 
Whereas if we had friends like that, we might not keep them around. We tend to surround ourselves with friends who have common interests, who we feel unconditionally loved and supported by. It can be really, really hard when you don't feel like you're getting that from your blood family, but your blood family isn't quite toxic enough for you to justify cutting them off. So you have to ride this fine balance of being called evil for getting a tattoo, but still, hey, mom wants to hang out for the day, so you go hang out and have fun and go to the opera. So, I mean, that is, what, that is exactly what my, what my relationship with my blood family is like. They don't understand me and any attempts to explain the things that they don't understand never go well for me, ever. So coming, <laughs> Doxicon is a little bit like a haven for me in that way because I come here and I meet people who also believe in Jesus, but they also share the things I love that my family looks on with a great deal of suspicion. Anybody else? Anybody else? The lone geek and or spooky person in their family? Yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite. I mean, <laughs> it is what it is, but yeah, it, it's a little bit rough. So I would say that birth family is, why found family over birth family? Why am I talking about this? I, I would say birth family ideally is important. It does shape who we are. It is, I mean, you can't like live with people for 18 to 20 years of your life and it not shape who you are in some significant way. Birth family is important in making us who we are, or growing up with family. Maybe not your birth family, maybe you were adopted, which is cool too. Um, but we are, I would say, wired to function in a broader context, which is why we have the church, which is why we build found families around us, which is why stories about found families resonate with us. Um, I get a little bit concerned, honestly, when I see people who never find family beyond their blood family. It's a little bit weird to me, because I feel like, I mean, the Bible has some good things to say about your birth family and about roles within a birth family, but it seems to me that every time some big thing is being done in the world for the cause of Christ, most of the time it's people who are not blood-related who are coming together and working together to do this thing, whether it's the Church of the Body of Christ or like the early missions in the Book of Acts or things like that. It's always these, and when we look at sci-fi and fantasy too, how often isn't, is that how it is? They're not blood-related, most of them. Um, they're people who come together for a common purpose in some way and together they forge a bond almost stronger than their family. It's almost like we find what we wanted in a family in these other people. I know that is definitely true for me. Um, I mean, just the other day, my, one of my friends was talking about sharing a song that he liked with his dad and how it touched his dad and I cried because I wish I could share the music I loved with my family without them thinking it was evil and adding it to the list. At this point, anything that could possibly go on the evil list is, I just don't even talk about it. Um, it's tricky. But like I was saying, we're wired to function in a broader context. Um, and for many of us, like I was just saying, birth family falls short of what we need as adults. It falls short of what we need as humans. We were made for more. Um, than our birth family allows us to be a lot of the time. Even I would say, I mean, I am not married, I do not have kids, but I would even say from my observation that we're wired for more than the family that we build with people. We're wired for more interaction beyond that. And when we close ourselves off to just birth family, we limit what we can do. We limit the story that we can build for ourselves. We limit, we limit what we can do in a way that's not really healthy. Um, so I would say there is a biblical principle that we need others. Um, and I'm going to read a passage from Ecclesiastes that we all probably know. Um, that's meant a lot to me really since college, since I first began building a found family around me. Um, it is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. And it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Fun trivia fact, the first, Tolkien, the first piece of Tolkien art I ever did involved calligraphy of that verse, and it was a gift for my best friend at the time, who's still one of my closest friends, for when she graduated from college, um, we had Lord of the Rings nicknames for each other. We built ourselves a little fellowship in college. Um, we still hang out sometimes, even though she lives in Virginia and I live over here. It's pretty great. Um, so if your birth family is inadequate, and all of ours are to a certain extent, um, we need to expand that family in order to better become the person God wants us to be and in order to be as strong as we, be as strong as we need to be. We are not built to function alone. Um, so for example, 
Every person, every person in this picture, even though Frodo was the one, you know, who was chosen as the ring bearer, who took the ring to Mount Doom, every person in this picture in some way contributed to the destruction of the ring in Lord of the Rings, right? Um, even Boromir. I just finished rereading Fellowship of the Ring, and I question whether Frodo would have headed to Mordor as soon as he did if Boromir hadn't become overcome by temptation from the ring and Frodo hadn't had that catalyst to get him and Sam on the road. Um, so, and that's not counting the times that Boromir's might as a warrior was important to the fellowship making it through difficult situations. I mean, you look at this picture and you think about, you think about what the fellowship had to do. Um, there are relatively few, I mean, you've got the hobbits. Um, the hobbits are not warriors. The different fighters in this picture have different strengths that they contributed to the story. Um, but then you have a fairly high number of people who aren't fighters at all, um, who their different strengths and weaknesses were just super, super important. And even once the fellowship splits up at the end of Fellowship of the Ring, um, every single person in this picture continues to be important to Frodo being able to destroy the ring. Even the fellow, though the fellowship is not all together in the same place, they are still working together as the found family that they are to accomplish the reason that they came together. Um, and I think that the Fellowship of the Ring is probably one of the most idealistic um, and really beautiful examples of found family. I am checking time to see if I have time to read things. What time am I done here? What time am I supposed to be done? Quarter to four? Quarter to four? Quarter to four. Okay, okay, yeah, I have lots of time. Okay, I'm gonna read to you guys. Do you mind if I read? Do I have to read some Tolkien to you guys? All right. No, not here, no, nothing but that. Well, guess what, I taught middle schoolers, so I'm gonna read to you whether you like it or not. <laughs> All right, so if you've read, if you've read, how many of you have actually read the book, The Fellowship of the Ring? I'm assuming probably most of us, awesome. So this is from a section that's not really in the movie, um, where Frodo and Frodo and Sam and Pippin are traveling from the Shire, and they meet up with Mary in the house that Frodo's bought as he's like trying to fake everybody out and make them think he's not just leaving the Shire, because in the book he takes a lot longer to leave the Shire. So he's heading out, and they meet up at the house. Um, they had supper in the kitchen on a table near the fire. I suppose you three won't want mushrooms again, said Fredegar, without much hope. Yes, we shall, cried Pippin. They're mine, said Frodo, given to me by Mrs. Maggot, a queen among farmers' wives. Take your greedy hands away, and I'll serve them. Hobbits of a passion for mushrooms, surpassing even the greediest likings of big people. Um, a fact which partially explains young Frodo's long expeditions to the renowned fields of the Marish and the wrath of the injured maggot. On this occasion, there was plenty for all, even according to Hobbit standards. There were also many other things to follow, and when they had finished, even Fatty Bulger heaved a sigh of content. They pushed back the table and drew chairs around the fire. We'll clear up later, said Mary. Now tell me all about it. I guess that you have been having adventures, which was not quite fair without me. I want a full account. And most of all, I want to know what was the matter with old Maggot and why he spoke to me like that. He almost sounded as if he was scared, if that's possible. We've all been scared, said Pippin after a pause in which Frodo stared at the fire and did not speak. You would have been too if you'd been chased for two days by black riders. But what are they? Black figures riding on black horses, answered Pippin. If Frodo won't talk, I'll tell you the whole tale from the beginning. He then gave a full account of their journey from the time when they left Hobbiton. Sam gave various supporting nods and exclamations. Frodo remained silent. I should think you were making it all up, said Mary, if I had not seen that black shape on the landing stage and heard the queer sound of Maggot's voice. What do you make of it all, Frodo? Cousin Frodo has been very close, said Pippin, but the time has come for him to open out. So far, we have been given nothing more to go on than Farmer Maggot's guess that it had something to do with old Bilbo's treasure. That was only a guess, Frodo said hastily. Maggot doesn't know everything. Old Maggot is a shrewd fellow, said Mary. A lot goes on behind his round face that does not come out in his talk. I've heard he used to go into the old forest at one time, and he has the reputation of knowing a good many strange things. But you can at least tell us, Frodo, whether you think his guess was good or bad. I think, answered Frodo slowly, that it was a good guess as far as it goes. There is a connection with Bilbo's old adventures, and the writers are looking, or perhaps one ought to say searching, for him or for me. I also fear, if you want to know, that it is no joke at all, and that I am not safe here or anywhere else. 
He looked round at the windows and walls as if he was afraid they would suddenly give way. The others looked at him in silence and exchanged meaning glances among themselves. It's coming out in a minute, whispered Pippin to Mary. Mary nodded. Well, Frodo said at last, sitting up and straightening his back as if he'd made a decision. I can't keep it dark any longer. I have got something to tell you all, but I don't know quite how to begin. I think I could help you, put in Mary, by telling you some of it myself. What do you mean, said Frodo, looking at him anxiously. Just this, my dear old Frodo, you're miserable because you don't know how to say goodbye. You meant to leave the Shire, of course, but danger has come on you sooner than you expected, and now you're making up your mind to go at once. And you don't want to. We're very sorry for you. Frodo opened his mouth and shut it again. His look of surprise was so comical that they laughed. Dear old Frodo, said Pippin, did you really think you'd thrown dust in all our eyes? You have not been nearly careful nor clever enough for all that. You've obviously been planning to go and saying farewell to all your haunts this year since April. We have consistently heard you muttering, shall I ever look down into that valley again, I wonder, and things like that. And pretending you'd come to the end of your money and actually selling your beloved bag end to those Sackville Bagginses and all those close talks with Gandalf. Good heavens, said Frodo. I thought I had been both careful and clever. I don't know what Gandalf would say. Is all the Shire discussing my departure then? Oh no, said Mary, don't worry about that. The secret won't keep for long, of course, but at present it is, I think, only known to us conspirators. After all, you must remember, we know you well and are often with you. We can usually guess what you're thinking. I know Bilbo, too. To tell you the truth, I'd been watching you rather closely ever since he left. I thought you would go after him sooner or later. Indeed, I expected you to go sooner, and lately we've been very anxious. We'd all been terrified you might give us the slip and go off suddenly, all on your own, like he did. Ever since this spring, we've kept our eyes open and have done a good deal of planning on our own account. You are not going to escape so easily. But I must go, said Frodo. It cannot be helped, dear friends. It's wretched for us all, but it is no use your trying to keep me. Since you've guessed so much, please help me and do not hinder me. You do not understand, said Pippin. You must go, and therefore we must too. Mary and I are coming with you. Sam is an excellent fellow and would jump down a dragon's throat to save you if he did not trip over his own feet. But you will need more than one companion in your dangerous adventure. My dear and most beloved hobbit, said Frodo, deeply moved. I could not allow it. I decided long ago, too. You speak of danger, but you do not understand. This is no treasure hunt, no there and back again journey. I am flying from deadly peril into deadly peril. Of course we understand, said Mary firmly. That is why we have decided to come. We know the ring is no laughing matter, but we are doing our best to help you against the enemy. The ring, said Frodo, now completely amazed. Yes, the ring, said Mary. My dear old hobbit, you don't allow for the inquisitiveness of friends. I have known about the existence of the ring for years. Before Bilbo went away, in fact, but since he obviously regarded it as secret, I kept the knowledge in my head until we formed our conspiracy. I did not know Bilbo, of course, as well as I know you. I was too young, and he was also more careful, but he was not careful enough. If you want to know, I'll tell you how I, if you want to know how I first found out, I will tell you. Go on, said Frodo faintly. It was the Sackville Bagginses that were his downfall, as you might expect. One day, a year before the party, I happened to be walking along the road when I saw Bilbo ahead. Suddenly, in the distance, the SBs peered, coming toward us. Bilbo slowed down, and then, hey, presto, he vanished. I was so startled, I hardly had the wits to hide myself in a more ordinary fashion. But I got through the hedge and walked along the field inside. I was peeping through into the road after the SBs had passed, and was looking straight at Bilbo when he suddenly reappeared. I caught a glint of gold as he put something back in his trouser pocket. After that, I kept my eyes open. In fact, I confess, I spied. But, you must admit, it was very intriguing, and I was only in my teens. I must be the only one in the Shire, besides you, Frodo, who's ever seen the old fellow's secret book. You have read his book, cried Frodo. Good heavens above, is nothing safe? Not too safe, I should say, said Mary. But I've only had one rapid glance, and that was difficult to get. He never left the book about. I wonder what became of it. I should like another look. Have you got it, Frodo? No, it was not at Bag End. He must have taken it away. Well, as I was saying, Mary proceeded, I kept my knowledge to myself until this spring when things got serious. Then we formed our conspiracy, and as we were serious too and meant business, we have not been too scrupulous. You are not a very easy nut to crack, and Gandalf is worse, but if you want to be introduced to our chief investigator, I can produce him. Where is he, said Frodo, looking around as if he expected a masked and sinister figure to come out of a cupboard. Step forward, Sam, said Mary, and Sam stood up with a face scarlet to the ears. Here's our collector of information, and he collected a lot, I can tell you, before he was finally caught, after which I may say he seemed to regard himself as on parole and dried up. Sam, cried Frodo, feeling that amazement could go no further and quite unable to decide whether he felt angry, amused, relieved, or merely foolish. 
Yes, sir, said Sam. Begging your pardon, sir, I meant no wrong to you, Mr. Frodo, nor to Mr. Gandalf, for that matter. He had some sense, mind you, and when you said go alone, he said no, take someone as you can trust. But it does not seem as I can trust anyone, said Frodo. Sam looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want, put in Mary. You can trust us to stick to you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you can keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Anyway, there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We're horribly afraid, but we're coming with you or following you like hounds. And after all, sir, said Sam, you did ought to take the elves' advice. Gildor said you should take them as was willing, and you can't deny it. I don't deny it, said Frodo, looking at Sam, who was now grinning. I don't deny it, but I'll never believe you're sleeping again, whether you snore or not. I shall cook you hard to make sure. You are a set of deceitful scoundrels, he said, turning to the others. But bless you, he said, laughing, getting up and waving his arms. I give in. I will take Gildor's advice. If the danger were not so dark, I should dance for joy. Even so, I cannot help feeling happy, happier than I had felt for a long time. I had dreaded this evening. Good, that's settled. Three cheers for Captain Frodo and company, they shouted, and they danced around him. Merry and Pippin began a song, which they had apparently gotten ready for the occasion. So, <laughs> obviously, if you know the rest of the story, there's a lot that happens after that. Um, there's a lot more with these characters. Obviously, there are more characters who join Frodo's found family in helping him achieve the thing that he is called to achieve by the, by the end of the story. Um, and he could not have done it without them. Um, why is this important? I think it's a thing we all know. Like, if I were to ask you, is having people around you important, we would all say yes. However, I think, and I'm actually pretty passionate about this, I think it is subtly different from the message we are sent about how big or meaningful things get done. Um, when I was in college, uh, I went to a Christian college. Perhaps, it was perhaps the most idealistic phase of my life. Um, anybody else? College? The most idealistic phase of your life? Yes, probably the happiest phase of my adult life, too. Um, you're studying a thing with the world ahead of you. You have dreams and goals. You're doing something you like. I mean, ideally, yeah, ideally you are just, this is just the best time. Um, and in the context of a Christian college, we were constantly being encouraged to choose what we were studying and to use what we were studying as a tool to change the world. Um, every other time somebody spoke in chapel, they would talk about how, God would use anybody, God could use you, and you would be the next, you would basically be the next big thing for God. Um, college is also, just in general, competitive and individualistic for the most part. I know that professors try real hard to do group projects and stuff, but it is competitive and individualistic. You're earning your own grades, um, especially if you're in any way in the arts, can be really, the, the competitiveness can get kind of nasty. Thankfully, I was spared much of that because I actually didn't go for an art degree, I was going for a writing degree. Um, there was a little bit of the competition, but it was actually a good kind of competition. I have a little more to say about that in a bit. Um, but I, had, I didn't, in general, enjoy hanging out with music majors. Because in the music department in particular, there tended to be this really nasty spirit of competitiveness. And I don't think that's true of all music people all the time. But it was true, it was tended to be true of the students who were really trying to get into the highest level of music degree that my school offered. Because if you didn't get in, you got kicked back to like, music education, and then you kicked, got kicked back to like church music, and there was this hierarchy in the music department, so it was kind of tooth and nail for who got to be like, um, like the, the top level of music major. Um, highly competitive and individualistic, and I, I would say that in my Christian college, there was also a heavy emphasis on finding your individual calling and your individual purpose, and they made the mistake, and this, I, I tried really hard not to do this when I was working with high schoolers, but they made the mistake of frequently um, associating calling with job. And I would say those are not the same thing. We are called to be like Christ. We are called to do the things we are called to do on a day-to-day -day basis. There are a number of things we're called to do, but most people, most people are not called to do the thing you get up in the morning and go to do at work. You're called to be Christ-like in that. Um, fight me. I do think that some people are called to do specific jobs. I don't want to rule that possibility out. One of my dearest friends was called to missions at five. Um, she's in Russia right now. I, I'm not going to argue that sometimes people get called to specific things, but I think that it's relatively rare and that in an attempt to make us all feel like we were going to change the world for Christ, our college really messed up equating calling with jobs. 
um, because they'd say you're called and then they'd start listing careers. It was really not a healthy, it was really not a healthy way to think. And then obviously they're trying to help us, they're trying to guide us, and they're encouraging us to find our individual calling and what we are individually cut out to do in the world. Nothing wrong with that, um, but it tends to send this message. I don't know if any of you ever got messages like this when you were young people of you could be the one. You know, discuss a hero of the faith, discuss a Bible character, discuss a hero from history, and you could be the next fill in the blank. That is a really, that, that can be inspiring. I have my own personal heroes who I deeply admire, um, but I also am very, very aware that they did not become what they became in a vacuum. And just because they are the figurehead of something does not mean that they are that thing. And it's really important as we are working toward the things that we feel God has put us individually on this earth to do, that we don't get so caught up in doing that thing that we think we can do it on our own because we can't. Just like Frodo, even though he was, if you want to, if you want to put it this way, called to destroy the ring, he could not have done it on his own. We need our found family, not just because it's warm and fuzzy, but because without it, we cannot be who we were created to be. We cannot be. We will be a sad, sorry shadow of that person. Um, so, yeah, we, we look at, we, we feed ourselves and we feed young people these stories of heroes that come off as very inaccurately individualistic. We look at, the, we look at Acts in the New Testament. We talk about Paul all the time, right? But look at, you've got to think about all the other characters, all the other people who aren't even mentioned by name. Paul could not have done his missionary journeys without them. He could not have done what he did without those people. Um, just because one person got their name in the Bible doesn't mean that there weren't massive, massive amounts of other people behind them. Um, think about, you know, people from history like Abraham Lincoln. You know, we have our figureheads of movements. We have our figureheads of, of certain periods in history. But those people could, they could not have done it on their own. Um, I, I, when, I was, when I was writing my notes for this, I thought about the song from Hamilton where, where they sing, History Has Its Eyes on You. Um, and I love Hamilton, but we only sing that in retrospect. They only sing that in Hamilton in retrospect because we know in retrospect that these are the people whose names we're going to talk about when we talk about history in several hundred years. We don't talk about all of the other soldiers in the Revolutionary War who died. No, we talk about the individuals whose names we remember who made their way into our, into our history textbooks. So even though I like that, I feel like we only say that in retrospect and it's dangerous to try to apply that to our day-to-day -day life and to feel like we're that person. Um, or to feel like we can do that on our own. That's the more toxic version of that. So on the outside, I look like the one who's doing the thing. <laughs> this happened by accident. Okay, I didn't think I was going to be the one to do the thing. I didn't think I was going to be the one to quit my job and do the art thing first of all my friends. Like, I didn't even think it was going to be art. I went to school for writing. I still want to do that, but I didn't think, like, like I really, really didn't see this coming. Um, but I'm finding that like once you're the one doing the thing and you're public about doing the thing, which I am because social media is super important to selling art and being, you know, doing what I do. It's super important. Um, people start kind of elevating you to this status where you're the one doing the thing. But the inside look to that is years of struggle I couldn't have made it through on my own. Um, I think about my previous car and the number of times it broke down on me at events and people had to help me. Um, I was doing Geek Girl Con a few years back, a few years back, and I pulled into the parking garage. Any of you go to Geek Girl Con? Wonderful, fun, you do, awesome. Wonderful, wonderful Seattle event in the fall. A um, couple of years ago, I was doing Geek Girl Con and I pulled into the parking garage the second day of vending. My booth was already set up up in Artist Alley and I parked in the parking garage and steam starts pouring out of the trunk of out of the hood of my car, right? <laughs> and I look behind me, and there's this trail of water behind me in the parking garage. <laughs> my poor car, by the time I got rid of that car, I think all the water hoses had actually been replaced because that was the thing that kept going at incredibly inopportune times. Um, my poor car had to get towed from the parking garage, leaving me and all my stuff stranded. <laughs> So, so I went to one of my friend's booths and had a complete and utter meltdown, as one does. And another, another artist happened to, be, happened to be walking past, and she's like, so 
where do you live? And I was like, you know, if I could make it to my parents' house in Everett, I'd be cool, which was half an hour from the convention center as opposed to, you know, an hour and a half where I lived. And she goes, where in Everett? And I was like, right by the hospital. And she goes, really? I live a block away from there. So somehow, somehow, dear Brandy York, who does wonderful art, dear Brandy York piled me, her booth assistant, and two artist alley booths worth of stuff into her little hatchback and got us home. Um, there was another time when, uh, again, day two, my car had a flat tire. <laughs> I, was about, I was staying with my family, and my family handed me the keys to their car and said, we'll deal with it, we'll take care of it, go sell your stuff. And so I came back, and my dad had um, changed out into my spare tire when I, when I got back. Um, I would not be able to sell my art online the way I sell it if friends were not constantly sharing and liking and promoting my stuff. Um, I'm on Patreon. I have like 14, I want to say, 14 people supporting me now. They pay all my bills except my rent. You know what that means? That means I have time to make a webcomic that doesn't pay me and never will. Okay? <laughs> that means I have time to make things that bring me joy and bring other people joy that don't immediately make money. And that is so, so important to keeping me excited about what I do and to just, just to doing the things that I was cut out to do. I couldn't do it without those people behind me. Um, so I look, because I'm like the face at the booth, I look like I'm the one doing all the things. In reality, I absolutely could not have made it this far without a massive team of people behind me helping me out and being there for me when I needed it and supporting me month to month and all the things. Um, so my question is, what time is it? That's not my question, but okay, I have lots of time. <laughs> so it's been a, it's, you know, I quit teaching last June. It's been a little while, and so I thought I had about an hour's worth of stuff here, but at the same time, I always took too much time on my lessons at school and had to quit them early and ran over time, and it was, it was not so good. So I'm trying real hard to keep an eye on that. So my question is that I want to spend the rest of our time talking about is where do you find your family? Um, this is the really practical part, really. So, obviously, I think one of the things that we would jump to is our church family. Um, but that hasn't really been where I've found most of my family. So the church can and should be part of your family that's part of your journey. Um, we do have the body analogy in the Bible, which I'm going to read in just a bit. Um, you all know what I'm referring to, though, right, when I, when I refer to that. Um, however, <laughs> our individual local churches often look a lot less like this and a lot more like this. Yes? Who's seen the Umbrella Academy? Anybody? Anybody seen the Umbrella Academy? Oh, this makes me very sad. You all need to go watch the Umbrella Academy, and I am going to go, I'm going to talk about it, and you're not going to get the references, and that makes me sad. How have you all not seen this? Okay, it's on Netflix. I've watched it three times now since I came out. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Yes, Tanya agrees. It's good stuff. You all should go watch it. It's not that long. Um, it's a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> so the Umbrella Academy is a story about, how many of them are there? There's six of them. About six super-powered young people who are not blood-related, who were adopted by the same person, adopted and raised by the same person. I will try to explain it without spoilers because it's really, really good. Um, and they have issues, don't they? Those of you who have seen it, they have big time issues. They, they, there's so much angst in this show. I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I love it to death. I mean, uh, for years I've avidly consumed anything Gerard Way created, so I'm not surprised that I liked it. But there's so, there's so much angst and beautiful storytelling in this show. Um, but these, these characters, like, the story starts where they've all gone their separate ways, and they've gone their separate ways for a while, so they were raised together as super-powered kids, and then as adults, they've all decided that that's not for them. They've left and tried to make their own way, in many cases very unsuccessfully in the world, and something happens in their family, they are brought back together, and they have to learn to work together as a team again, and it doesn't go so hot most of the time, because everybody kind of has their own agenda, and some of them are more selfish than others, they're all kind of selfish when they feel like it, um, they all have their own things they want out of life or they don't even know what they want out of life and they're very bitter about the not great way that they were raised and it's just there's these people just thrown together who wouldn't necessarily make a good team 
based on anything but powers. Okay, their powers are kind of cool. Everybody has a different power. Um, but they, they were not handpicked to make a great team as far as their personality goes. There's a lot of personality clashing going on, which is a lot of the fun of the show, but also a lot of the sadness in the show. Um, because you can see that they're all pretty great characters who are just deeply messed up, and they could really find a lot of this family with each other, but they, they're, they're in many ways rejecting that because they don't like these people they grew up with. I mean, I don't know anything about that. But, <laughs> don't. I'm really glad nobody in my family is here. <laughs> I love them all very much, but I do not always get along great with them. Um, so we may, when it comes to church, we have, most of us have chosen our place of worship for ourselves. So in that sense, it is a chosen family. Um, but we did, what we didn't do is handpick everybody who's sitting in the pews, right? And a lot of those people have a lot of quirks that rub us the wrong way. Yes? <laughs> just like these guys, for those of you who have seen it, like there's so many strengths, right? Just like with these guys, so many strengths. But there are so many weaknesses. And when there are people who you've hung out with for years, especially the longer you've been going to your, to your church, you know more dirt on those people, right? You know their quirks. You know the things that they do that you feel are not Christ-like, that you have an issue with. You know the things that you wish that you could change about them. And they know those things about you, even if you're completely blind to them. And so we get kind of this umbrella academy just like budding heads when you could be an awesome team because everybody's still kind of working on their own agenda. So are there some good friends among, are there some personalities in this team that work together better than others? Yes, absolutely. You may find one or two people from your actual church who end up being part of your found family, your team, your people that you need around you in order to do the things that you need to do. And that's also, I mean, Back to what I was saying about my birth family, I think that sometimes we're in our church family so we can learn to get along with people who we wouldn't necessarily get along with otherwise. It's not a good idea to pull up stakes and try to find a new place just because you don't like the way so-and-so next to you sneezes or coughs or reads the Bible, right? <laughs> you don't agree with them on a, on a theological point or whatever, whatever reason. Um, people leave, leave churches for all sorts of crazy and good reasons, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, there comes a point where you can make that decision for yourself. At the end of the day, these, these characters all chose to leave the family, but they also all chose to come back together when they needed to as well. Um, so I, think, I feel like there's a lot of parallels to the church to be found, to be found with Umbrella Academy. Um, anyway, so we're super flawed, just like these guys, right? If we're honest, we're not so much like the fellowship we're really flawed, we're really quirky, and we really get on each other's nerves. And it doesn't always go so good when we try to do something together, right? <laughs> I'm being kind of cynical here, but let's be honest, it's, it's the truth. Um, we might like to think of ourselves as the fellowship, but we're a lot messier than that. And a lot of us too, just like some of these guys, are fighting against our own gifts. Because we're wired to be a certain way, we don't like being that way, and so we try not to do the thing that we're gifted in doing, and it hurts the team. Um, so learning to function with the found family that is the church is really good for us it teaches us to rely on others and work together as a team um, just like these guys did except the, the analogy falls apart because God is a better father than Reginald Hargreaves was um, but, but I, I feel like there's a lot, of, a lot of cool interesting analogies here I won't stretch that too far since a lot of you apparently need to watch this show or read the comics the comics were, comics were good too um, this show's probably a little bit better. They're both good in different ways. Anyway, the church can be your larger faith family, but really my point is that's not enough to be your fellowship. Um, you need your people around you. You need the people who are in your corner. Um, it, it'll probably, it should, should. Even, G, even Jesus did this, honestly. Let me back, backtrack a little bit. Jesus had, his, Jesus had all the people who were following him, who he was teaching, he had his 12. And then he had within those he had his three. So I feel like there's value to be found for that in us too. We have all of our people who surround us. We have people who our lives touch consistently and constantly, whether they're our birth family or our church or whatever. Um, and then we have our close-knit people who we know we can go to and they know they can come to us. Um, so I've, I kind of feel like, even though this is also an imperfect found family, I kind of feel like an ideal found family would look a little bit more like this one. Yes? Yes. Um, <laughs> so still kind of dysfunctional, but at the end of the day, they really all do have each other's backs. 
Um, there's a really neat strength, there's a really neat balance of strengths and weaknesses and abilities in this family. Um, even though Mal is the captain, they all have a chance to be the main characters, which I think is another real strength of this show. Um, nobody's the main character of Firefly. Um, so the classic crew story, and I'm using Firefly as an example, but I, I feel like there are a number of other sci-fi shows and books that, that give us really good examples of crews um, that are probably some of the best analogies of found families that we can possibly find out there. Not perfect, but working together as a team, really using our strengths, and our strengths to be there for others' weaknesses and letting other people's strengths be there in our weaknesses. Um, in real life, um, none of us are the main character. We like to think we're the main character of our own story. And there's a sense where that's true, but none of us are really the main character. Um, we're all kind of part of a team like this. Um, and when we start thinking of ourselves as the hero or the main character, we slip into that whole mindset of, I'm here to do it by myself, and we don't notice the things that other people around us can provide that we need. Um, ultimately, your fellowship is yours because you're able to support each other being the best versions of yourselves. It's very stressful to try to be everything on your own. Um, I feel like the Hogwarts houses, as a personality test, are a pretty good example of strengths and weaknesses as far as personality goes. I mean, we could talk Myers-Briggs, we could talk Enneagram, we could talk whatever we wanted to talk about as far as personalities go. I've always found personality tests pretty fascinating because they tell me what my own strengths and weaknesses are. They show me where I need to depend on others. Um, because I am not complete and perfect all by myself. I am not. And there are weaknesses where I need people around me. Okay, I'm a Hufflepuff. My secondary is a Gryffindor. That means that most of my inner circle are Slytherins. <laughs> because I know deep down instinctively that I need people around me who are smart enough to see when I'm about to do something really dumb in the name of kindness and goodness and who have the guts to tell me that it's stupid and to drag me out of it. <laughs> My other close friend, my close friend who isn't a Slytherin is a Gryffindor, and we basically encourage each other to do stupid things. It's great. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about our crazy adventure we have planned for October, I'll, you can ask me about that in Q&A if we have any time for that. Um, so, <laughs> so, my, so the analogy does fall apart to an extent because it's rare, like we're not going to be like Firefly where we're all in the same place all the same time. Um, like in the Fellowship of the Ring, there will come a point where you're not with your people, right? My closest friends right now are in Russia, um, Arizona, and Virginia. <laughs> none, none of them are within my close vicinity. I, I was starting to get close to my neighbor, and then she moved. This is like a consistent thing in my life. It's really sad. Um, but, 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 you know, you can get, you can get the things... But, but you can get the things that you need. The beautiful thing about living in 2020 is that you don't need to live right next door to your people in order to build real meaningful connection with them. I hear a lot of older people um, complaining about internet culture and about how disconnected we are and we're on our phones all the time. Most of us who are on our phones all the time are communicating with our friends. Um, and the type of connection that we're able to forge with people who are not immediately next to us is one of the most positive things about that culture. So while there definitely are negative things about that culture, there's some super positive, there's some super positive things as well. Um, but I think that we can, gather, we can gather a few things from these examples of found family, just a few broader principles, in order to truly play the role that God made each of us for. Um, I'm not sure... Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna summarize. You know the passage about the body of Christ. I was gonna read it, but I, but you guys know it about how we are like a body. Um, the broader Christian universal church, as well as as well as our individual churches. But I think the principle applies even broader to any group of Christians that's working together for any particular thing. Um, you have in a body. You have eyes. You have an ear. You you have ears. You have a nose. You have all of these different parts. Tons and tons and tons of different parts. And without any one of those, the body wouldn't function as well. 
Um, and the eyes don't get to say to the nose that the eyes are more important. And the nose doesn't get to say to the ears that the nose is more important. And it all makes sense, and it's a cute analogy, and it's great. Um, but the truth is that in order to really be the best nose, we need to not stop, we need to not try to be an ear. And we also need to let the ears know that they're doing a good job. <laughs> and we need to not walk away because we're jealous of the ears, right? We need to just be the best nose we can and then be thankful that there are ears next to us to do the things we can't do. Um, in order to truly play the role God made for us, we need a fellowship or crew around us. Um, in a good fellowship and crew, it's actually hard, if not impossible, to tell who the main character is because everybody's role, really, when you look at it, is super important to accomplishing the mission. Um, and our best fellowship and crew will support us, this is so important, being the best version of ourselves, the version that God made us to be, instead of walking all over us, draining us, or insisting that we fill a role we were not wired to fill. If your people you've collected around you are doing any of those things to you, you can keep them in your life. I'm not saying cut them out, but they are not your fellowship. They are not your crew. If they are walking all over you, draining you, or insisting that you fill a role that you are not cut out to fill, they are not the people that are going to be your team that's going to have your back. Um, so the, next, the, the final question is, how do you find them? Um, and to illustrate this, I want to read a little bit more Tolkien, if you don't mind. All right. So I'm going to put up a, I'm going to put up a picture for this part, too. Um, my short answer to how do you find them is you run after them. <laughs> At the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo thinks he's going to go off all by himself because he's Frodo and he's adorable, and he thinks that that's the only way to keep his friends safe. Um, but one of his friends knows a little bit better than that. <clears throat> Aragorn sprang swiftly away and went in pursuit of Sam. Just as he reached the little lawn among the rowans, he overtook him, toiling uphill and panting and calling, Frodo, come with me, Sam, he said. None of us should be alone. There is mischief about. I feel it. I am going to the top, to the seat of Amon Hen, to see what may be seen. And look, it is as my heart guessed. Frodo went this way. Follow me and keep your eyes open. Sam did his best, but he couldn't keep up with Strider the Ranger and soon fell behind. He had not gone far before Aragorn was out of sight ahead. Sam stopped and puffed. Suddenly, he clapped his hand to his head. Whoa, Sam Gamgee, he said aloud. Your legs are too short, so use your head. Let me see now. Boromir isn't lying. That's not his way, but he hasn't told us everything. Something scared Mr. Frodo badly. He screwed himself up to the point sudden. He made his mind at last to go. Where to? Off east. Not without Sam? Yes, without even his Sam. That's hard, cruel hard. Sam passed his hand over his eyes, brushing away the tears. Steady, Gamgee, he said. Think if you can. He can't fly across rivers and he can't jump waterfalls. He's got no gear, so he's got to get back to the boats. Back to the boats. Back to the boats, Sam, like lightning. Sam turned and bolted back down the path. He fell and cut his knees. Up he got and ran on. He came to the edge of the lawn of Parth Galen by the shore, where the boats were drawn up out of the water. No one was there. There seemed to be cries in the woods behind, but he didn't heed them. He stood gazing for a moment, stock still, gaping. A boat was sliding down the bank all by itself. With a shout, Sam raced across the grass. The boat slipped into the water. Coming, Mr. Frodo, coming, called Sam, and flung himself from the bank, clutching at the departing boat. He missed it by a yard. With a cry and a splash, he fell face downward into deep, swift water. Gurgling, he went under, and the river closed over his curly head. An exclamation of dismay came from the empty boat. A paddle swirled, and the boat put about. Frodo was just in time to grasp Sam by the hair as he came up, bubbling and struggling. Fear was staring in his round eyes. Up you come, Sam, my lad, said Frodo. Now take my hand. Save me, Mr. Frodo, gasped Sam. I'm drowned. I can't see your hand. Here it is. Don't pinch, lad. I won't let you go. Tread water and don't flounder. You'll upset the boat. There now. Get hold of the side and let me use the paddle. With a few strokes, Frodo brought the boat back to the bank, and Sam was able to scramble out, wet as a water rat. Frodo took off the ring and stepped ashore again. Of all the confounded nuisances, you are the worst, Sam, he said. Oh, Mr. Frodo, that's hard, said Sam, shivering. That's hard, trying to go without me and all. If I hadn't a guest right, where would you be now? Safely on my way. Safely, said Sam. All alone and without me to help you, I couldn't have borne it. It would have been the death of me. It would be the death of you to come with me, Sam, said Frodo, and I couldn't have done that. Not as certain as being left behind, said Sam. But I'm going to Mordor. I know that well enough, Mr. Frodo. Of course you are, and I'm coming with you. Now, Sam, said Frodo, don't hinder me. The others will be coming back at any minute. If they catch me here, I shall have to argue and explain, and I shall never have the heart or the chance to get off, but I must go at once. It's the only way. Of course it is, said Sam, but not alone. I'm coming too, or neither of us isn't going. I'll knock holes in all the boats first. Frodo actually laughed. A sudden warmth and gladness touched his heart. Leave one, he said. We'll need it. But you can't come like this without your gear or food or anything. 
Just hold on a moment. I'll get my stuff, said Sam eagerly. It's all ready. I thought we would be off today. He rushed to the camping place, fished out his pack from the pile where Frodo had laid it when he emptied the boat of his companion's goods, grabbed a spare blanket, some extra packages of food, and ran back. So all my plan is spoiled, said Frodo. It's no good trying to escape you. But I'm glad, Sam. I cannot tell you how glad. Come along. It's plain we were meant to go together. We will go, and may the others find a safe road. Strider will look after them. I don't suppose we shall see them again. Yet we may, Mr. Frodo. Yet we may, said Sam. So... I don't have, and this is something maybe we could talk about if we have some quick Q&A time, I don't have a formula for how you go and find your family, but I will tell you how I found mine. And that is, I've run after them. Um, the Bible says if you want to have friends, be friendly. Um, all of my close friendships started because somebody needed help and I helped them. Um, you don't find friends by looking, selfishly looking for people to fill a hole in your life. You find friends by with an open heart, helping anybody and everybody who runs across your path. And as you do, there will be people who are special, who stick, who you go running after, and you end up on your way to mortar together. Um, and then there will be people who it's just that once, and that's okay too. But it's been my experience that my people um, have been people, without fail, have been relationships built because Somebody needed help, and I was willing to help them. So you don't actually—it's a bit of—it's a bit of an oxymoron. It's a bit of a—it's a bit of a paradox. You—you you find your people by being by being the people for other people, and not every person that you're there for is going to be a person who's there for you. But that's been how I found every single last one of mine. Um, They've—and then relationship has built and lasted and grown. And in a moment when I needed help, um, I went to one of them, and they were there. And at that point, the relationship started going both ways, and they became part of my fellowship. Um, be the fellowship member that you would like to have. Be the crew member that you would like to have. Um, and collect people who you can, you can help them with your strengths and see their strengths in them and lean on their strengths as they lean on yours. Um, that's, that's the best advice. That's the best that I can give. I mean, I'm not that old. Um, some of you, I think, probably have a lot more life experience and could share how you found your people. Um, but it's, it's pretty much without fail been that way. They've been people who were off to Mordor alone, and I was like, hey, no, you're not. And then, and then we were stuck with each other for a good long time, and it ended up being a really good thing. <laughs> so choose. I, I would just say be wise in who you trust. Obviously, a good friendship is going to go both ways. There's going to be good boundaries either way. You're not just going to walk all over each other, like I was saying. Um, your, your fellowship is going to be people who respect what you believe. They might not believe everything you, you believe, but they'll respect who you are and what you believe. They'll help you be the best version of you. And, you know, when you find those people, don't let them go. Don't let them go because they are absolutely precious. They are they are the most important thing, and you cannot be you cannot be the person that you were made to be on your own. None of us can, and you can't be that person without those people around you. And they can't be either. They can't be either. Um, just kind of like that fire. Just kind like in Firefly, there is no single main character there. Um, yeah, it's like that. So yeah, that that was what I wanted to say when I saw what the theme of when I saw what the theme of the of the convention was this year and it's just because that's meant so much to me this year like I would have said that that mattered in previous years but this has been a very challenging my whole life has just been completely turned on its head in the last 16 months um I did not plan on quitting my day job in June I had a three day I had a three year plan um a lot of really unexpected life things happened and it was it really kind of sucked a lot of the time <laughs> couldn't have done it without the people in my life. Um, the people who had no idea that it was that bad, who were supporting me on Patreon, my friends who um, were close to me, even, I mean, there were times, my, my best friend, the one in Russia, she and I had a real bad time for about six months, about the same time, and so we knew that we couldn't be there for each other. And I added two new people to my fellowship through that. We were like, we will be here for each other after this is over, but we are both way too busy and way too depressed to be there for each other right now. And we just kind of knew that, and it was okay. Um, 
But, but in doing so, I made two other super close friends who are now part of my fellowship. And it was a beautiful, it was just like I learned how important it was to have these people around me in order, in order to make it, in order to do. It was a humbling and beautiful, beautiful experience this year. Um, and so when I saw that this was about family, I was like, I want to talk about my people. So because they, they're the most important thing to me. So yeah, do you guys have any comments or questions or thoughts? I mean, I'm happy to take questions about what I do for a living and about my art if that's what we want to talk about or if we want to talk about Tolkien or whatever. Yeah, anybody? No? Okay. Anybody? How do I think that being a person of faith? Um, that is a really good question. I would say that I it, it more shapes how I see it than how I would go about collecting it, if that makes sense. Right? Like I see these people who are in my life who are such an important part of my life as people that God definitely brought into my life, and there's a responsibility and also a freedom in that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I can view them as gifts. I can also like like in the example with where my friend and I my like my closest friend and I were out, out of touch for six very hard months for both of us. That there's an element of faith in that too. That you know God is going to take when we can't take care of our person who we're used to taking care of. That God can take care of them, and that is a hard. If you're used to being Sam, that is a hard thing to do. It is hard to put somebody else in God's hands because you can't. Um, but. He's God, and you can weather you can weather that and come back to that relationship. Yeah. So I think that it just adds an element of it, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Yeah. I think the, the Frodo and Sam analogy is really interesting because I think all of us have been in a situation where um, there's one friend who, like Frodo, is trying to do like a huge. Mm-hmm. Someone was talking about that in the last in the last session that was in here about you know the super powered character and then all the characters that don't have superpowers around them. Somebody was talking about that. Um, I, th I think you're right, um, but it is also important. Yeah, some people would say that I'm doing that, but it doesn't feel like that. I think a lot of it's the perception. <laughs> it is true. Yes, that is true. Um, I think the perception of one person always be the one being the one doing the big thing is just a matter of how visible versus invisible what somebody is doing on a day-to-day -day basis is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and everybody thinks that you know Sam is the real hero. So. <laughs> <laughs> My nickname in our fellowship was Sam, so I always find like comments like that vaguely <laughs> flattering <laughs> but yeah I mean I do think I, I I'm gonna argue for Frodo anytime given that though people really downplay Frodo and I think that you miss that in the movies as much but you definitely get it in the books Frodo Frodo was the only one who could have made it that far yeah Sam was great support but he couldn't have taken the ring he was not strong enough to do that. Frodo had an inner strength. Again, you've got the two, the, the different strengths and weaknesses working together to do a thing. Frodo's was just more visible, and then Sam, like in his practical way, was maybe more visible than Frodo's inner strength in the movies, I feel, especially, because it's hard to show inner struggle in a movie. Yeah? You're talking about finding your people by mm -hmm. running after mm -hmm. them and, and offering help mm -hmm. to everyone who comes mm -hmm. Yes. How do you know? I think that. Oh man, that's so good. I think it's an element of trust. Um, you, this person has shown themselves trustworthy. Um, you know them by now. You know. I mean, it, whether they're the kind of person who comes to you and complains about all the people in their life or whether they are supporting of the people in their life. I think that you can decide whether somebody's a safe person by seeing how they interact with their relationships. I think that's a really big one. Um, but I think it really does come down to the relationship you've built with them with common ground and with trust. Um, and there's a point where you trust somebody and sometimes trust gets misplaced and people destroy your life. I had that happen. I'm not in touch with Pippin anymore in our fellowship. I. 
don't want to talk about that very much, but it was one of the darkest periods of my life. I was still dealing with emotional fallout from that, and that was three or four years ago. Um, there was somebody I trusted very much there and had invested a lot of love and time in, and it turned on me real bad. Um, so it happens, and I know it happens because it's happened to me. But there comes a point, oh, there's some book, I'm, I'm referencing something, but I don't remember what it is. There's something that talks about how, I think C.S. Lewis said something about how to love is to open yourself up to be wounded. I'm, I'm misquoting that. And that to, to love is to be vulnerable. And you can be safe. You can be safe as can be. But you will be a cold, lonely, safe person if you don't open yourself up to the risk of being wounded. Um, and you can be smart about it. I mean, like I was saying, you're going to pick people who are respectful of you and what you believe, who see the value in you. Um, if somebody's constantly putting you down or telling you that you need to fix yourself, not that there's anything wrong with fixing yourself, but if that's the focus of your relationship, that's really not going to be a very supportive person. Um, somebody who really sees you who you are and is cool with that. Um, and then there, there's an element of trust. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I can talk about that. So I have done my art on the side for ten years now. I've been at Doxicon for like five years now. It's been a while. Um, but I've been doing my art on the side for about for about ten years. And what happened was, at first, it was just for fun. Um, what happened was, I sprained my ankle at one of my day jobs and had to take a couple days off. And so I made some Tolkien art, put it up on Etsy. <laughs> And it never was meant to be a serious thing. Um, and then, you know, I did one event, and it was kind of fun. Um, and then I started doing a couple more events, and it was fun. And then I realized that maybe I could get some serious creative time during the summers if I could do enough events that I could work, that I could live off of my event money during the summer. Well, I did that three summers, and the last summer I actually ended the summer with as much in my savings account as I started the summer with, which meant it had been fully self-sustaining during the summer, which is not even my peak season. My peak season is the fall and winter. Um, and I stepped back and I was like, I could do this full time, I think. So at that point, I kind of formed a three-year plan. I, my plan was this would be my last year teaching full-time at the school and I would approach the administrator about the next year cutting back to part-time, maybe just teaching the English classes because that was what my certification was in, and then I would have more time. I would just slowly phase out of teaching into doing art full-time. Well, that school year, which was last school year, um, the school almost closed down halfway through the school year. Small, tiny, private Christian school. They had budgeted, they had somehow budgeted for four more full-time students than we had, and it killed us. Um, and I don't know how nobody saw that coming. I, I, <laughs> nobody told us. What happened was I ran an incredibly successful fundraiser, put on a drama performance with my kids, and it was beautiful, and it was brilliant, and it was amazing. And two weeks later, we were told that we might not have a job at the end of January. <laughs> so bad. What they did was they told us before Christmas break, it was December 5th, what they did was they told us before Christmas break, and they said, what we're going to do is we're going to take three or four weeks to think about it, and we're going to have a meeting January 8th after Christmas break where we're going to figure out whether we'll be able to continue full-time or we'll continue part-time or we'll close the doors. Um, have a good Christmas break. <laughs> and so four weeks of panic. Um, I went to a concert two days after the event, and just to give you a, an example of how it was making me feel, um, I had a great time with one of the bands I sang along, just had a wonderful, like, super high. I cried through the entire next set because I was just doing this massive, massive up and down thing. It was really awful. But by the end of those three weeks, uh, four weeks or so, I had made a couple of decisions, and those decisions were these. I would stay with the school till the end of the school year, regardless of what they decided. If they decided we were finishing part-time, I would do that. If, this is my trust element. Um, if they decided that we were going to do full-time, I would do that. If they decided we were ending in January, <laughs> I'd do that. Um, I also decided that I was already on a trajectory to doing my art full-time, and there was nothing else I wanted to do. I didn't want to go get a job at another school. If I needed to, I could use my teaching certificate to sub if I really, really needed to to fill in the gaps in my income. Um, but I would, even if it, <laughs> I had a three-year plan, not a three-week plan here, but if that was what was going to happen, I was going to do my best. So in those three weeks after making that decision, I signed up for as many events as I possibly could for the rest of that school year, just in case I didn't have anything else. 
Um, and we hit the meeting and turned out that in those three weeks, nobody bothered to tell us, but somebody donated two-thirds of the amount that we needed to finish the school year without debt. Um, the parents at that meeting raised an additional couple thousand dollars, and basically we only had to do $3,000 in fundraising instead of $15,000, um, which is much more manageable. We were able to finish the school year full-time, which meant that I had now signed up for enough events that I was working two full-time jobs for the next six months. It was horrible. It was so horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but then at the end of the school year, I, I left the school, and I, I let them know in January that I wouldn't that it wouldn't be back at the end of the school year. This was this was the decision that I had made, um, and it's been going so well. Like it's been going so very well. Um, for the most part, I've been making what I need to live off of month to month. Um, which is incredible for it being the first year that I've done this. And that was with uh, the first ER visit that I'd had since I was like 10, coming right after I quit teaching <laughs> and a bunch of other really unfortunate things. But it was, yeah, so that was, that was how that happened. It was, it was never a thing I meant to do with my life. I didn't go to school for art. I, it really kind of happened by accident, but I'm really thankful that I get to do this. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Anybody else have questions about that? This crazy thing that I get to do? No. No, we're done. <laughs> I will say, I will say that it. <laughs> I've gone over time. I will say that we're up to time. I will say that it's not what it looks like. Um, it looks like I just do events because that's where you guys see me. Um, but the reality is that it's online sales, it's events. I have stuff in three, possibly four now, brick and mortar shops um, that send me consignment checks. Um, I have Patreon supporters, I've mentioned before, which are hugely, impor hugely important. If you guys are interested at all, you can pick up my information back there. Um, $5 a month, $10 a month, you get a, post you get a postcard or a card. Um, you're one of my Patreon people. Yeah, so you get a postcard or, or a card every, every month with a handwritten thank you note. You get a, depending on the level you're at, you get a coupon code for my Etsy shop for every month. You... Um, I mean, upper levels you get access. I mean, you get access to exclusive content that I post on Patreon, not nearly as regularly as I say I'm going to. Um, <laughs> short stories, yeah, yeah, because I still want to write. I'm still working very hard toward those goals as well that I that I had in my head even when I went, when I went to college. So I share short stories and sometimes chapters of my longer works. It's uh, upper levels get some gift like bi-monthly little gift packages. It's it's really fun. I enjoy sharing it with people. So Patreon, brick and mortar stuff. Um, events are probably about two-thirds of my income, and then I do a lot of commissions as well. So without any single one of those components, I wouldn't be able to do it. It takes all of them to make it happen, but um, it's been pretty amazing that, that it's worked out the way it has. So, yeah. Thank you guys for being a little part of that. <laughs>